as you are able. My name is Christina Connell. I'm a partner here at Mercy View. And tonight I'll be reading from Romans 9, 30 through 10, 4. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking the establish, to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is the word of the Lord. When you were in elementary school or middle school, maybe even high school, um, this is true if you're in college too, you probably received a grade right? And what did you receive a grade for, for the work that you had done? Now, sometimes you maybe didn't get the grade that you wanted, but you typically earned the grade that you worked for, right? I can remember like getting those report cards uh, when I was growing up, man, they were little paper report cards, cards, hard card stock. And, um, you know, I, I, there were A's and B's and C's. There were all kinds of letters on that, that uh, report card. And um, I was so proud, though, whenever the grades were a little nicer. And I'm sure for you, you, you felt the same, same thing. As I've grown up and as we grow up in, in life, one of the things that happens, we sort of translate that whole sort of working and earning uh, grades into working and earning a living, right? That's actually the, the phrase that we use. What do we do with a living? We earn a living, and we earn money. You know, you may get paid by a check or cash or something like that, but you are working to earn some sort of income for you to live on. And this sort of like trajectory that we are on throughout a lifetime is one of, of earning. A lot of what we do in life, whether it was when we we're younger in school or as adults in work, is we are putting in effort in the hopes that what comes out of that effort is some sort of reward, right? Now, the problem for us as Christians is that we tend to take that same kind of mentality and we impose it upon our faith. In other words, we, uh, we think in a very similar way in the way we thought about this in grade school or in, in, in our work right now is, is in order for God to love me, in order for me to stay in God's good graces, I've got to earn it. And it's actually really um, not a good thing. In fact, the Bible says that it's counter to our role and responsibility in the work of salvation. But it's the mode that many of us get in. We get locked in it and, and we have a hard time disconnecting from that way of, of thinking about God and, and salvation and sanctification and growth in God. I, what if I told you that the work of salvation, your role and responsibility in that is not earning? So if it's not that, then what, what is it? 
How should we think about God? How should we think about salvation and redemption and forgiveness? How should we think about the way in which you and I over a lifetime as Christians are to grow and to be sanctified in Christ? If it's not earning, what is it? Well, this has everything to do with what Paul is talking about tonight in our passage. We are in a series uh, called Reign of Grace. We are looking at the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. The, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is, is Paul's theological treatise. He is laying out just in a masterful way uh, what his understanding is through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, about the God of the universe and how he rules and how he reigns and how he saves. And we're actually going to go into the second half of Romans next year and look at Romans 12 and on through 16. The second half of Romans is really how we take that theology, so like what we're talking about tonight, how we take that and live it out. And we're going to be working through that in uh, 2023. But we are in Romans 9, the very end of one of the thickest chapters theologically in the entire Bible. And then a little bit of the beginning of of, of Romans 10 that you heard Christina uh, read. And as we look at this passage tonight, I want to invite you to see two things. First is this. Salvation is never earned through effort. Now make sure you hear all those words. Those all count. Salvation is never earned through effort. And then second, salvation is always received by faith. It's always received by faith. Now, remember in Romans 9, Paul is dealing with what he perceived might be an objection to all of the things that he has said up to that point in the book of Romans. In particular, in Romans 8. Right, in Romans 8, he says this, for example, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He's talking about the way in which God chooses sovereignly, the way that he calls people to himself, the way in which he makes them righteous, he justifies them, and and then also the, the way in which ultimately, for all of eternity, God glorifies those who are his spiritual children. And as we then entered into Romans 9, the, the potential protest that Paul gets out in front of is this. It's this, this, you can imagine someone saying this, okay, Paul, didn't God call the Jewish people to be his covenant people? And, and haven't they rejected Jesus as the Messiah, which means they have rejected God? And doesn't that mean that God's word has failed? And that's actually a very intellectually honest question that he's anticipating and he begins to answer in Romans 9. And really underneath all of those questions, we've said this uh, a few weeks in a row here, but is it an even deeper question? If, if those things are true, if God's word has failed, his covenant people have rejected Jesus as Messiah, can God really be trusted? In other words, is God who he says he is or not? So last week, 
we looked at Paul's second answer to that question. And in a way, what Paul did last week was expand his first answer to the overall objection. His first answer was found in verses 1 through 13 of Romans 9. If you remember what Paul did there, he said, God's word hasn't failed because God is actually saving a true Israel within the larger nation of Israel, not based on heritage, not based on lineage, not based on something inside of them, but based on his great mercy. And then last week, what Paul did is really expanded that answer by saying that there is another group of people that were actually outside of the covenant of God, the Gentile people. And Paul says God is saving those people as well, people who were opposed to God. So Paul's point last week in expanding the answer of whether or not God's word has failed is to say that in saving the Gentile people, which is you and I, by the way, God is showing that his purposes in saving are not based on stuff inside of us. It's based on something inside of him. So in both of these answers, Paul is saying that God is working out his plan to show his power and glory through his stunning mercy. Now today, Paul makes a very interesting turn within the chapter of Romans 9 that is absolutely connected to everything he's been talking about in this chapter previous. Paul has attempted to answer the question of the faithfulness of God these past few weeks by giving us an unapologetic look at the sovereign choice or choosing of God. And we have had to wrestle. If you've been here, you know it's been probably a little discomforting. Like uh, We've had to wrestle with how the, the Bible talks about how God saves people. Right? He, he saves according to his purposes. He saves according to his will. Paul calls this saving work in Romans 9, election. In, in Romans 8, he actually calls it a, another word that's very similar, uh, predestination. And in short, God, what Paul is saying is God chooses those whom he would save based on his mercy. Now today, Paul is actually anticipating another objection at this point. And it goes something like this. You can imagine someone asking this. Okay, Paul, if God chooses those whom he would save, doesn't that just make us robots? Doesn't that just make God a puppet master? Why does the Bible talk about repentance and faith? Like, If God is just going to override our belief in him, what's the point? If we have no responsibility in this, why can God, how can God hold us accountable at all? Also, a very intellectually honest question. So if you have your Bibles... Or electronic devices, keep them open to Romans 9, beginning there in verse 30. Paul, again, anticipating this question, actually asked the question that many people were probably asking at this point. He says, what shall we say then? And then he begins to move into that, answering that question. So here's what his answer is. First, he says this, the Gentiles 
who did not pursue righteousness, who did not live under God's rule, actually did attain God's righteousness by faith. And then second, he says that Israel, who did attempt to receive God's favor through obedience to the law, they found a lot of their um, identity and, and sense of importance and significance to God based on their family uh, history and lineage. But in the end, they did not attain right standing with God. And Paul's point by, again, talking about these two different groups is to say that the Gentiles, the pagans, who cared nothing about righteousness, received right standing with God through faith where the people of God did not and received judgment. So what is Paul trying to communicate here? This seems completely backwards, right? Like God's covenant people should be the ones that receive God's mercy, those who are against God, right? Those who are outside of God's covenant uh, people, like surely they're the ones that would be judged, not receive mercy. So how did the group who was outside of God's covenant uh, receive grace and the one that was inside of God's covenant receive judgment? Well, if you want to understand what Paul is doing here, we have to look at verse 23. Paul even asked the question he anticipates. He says, why? And then he explains. Let me just read that again. He says, because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. He's talking about uh, the Jewish people, the Israelites. And then jump down with me to Romans 10 verse 2. There it says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but according to knowledge, for their, uh, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So if you want to understand how Paul is answering the question of how salvation works itself out in the souls of, of men and women, I want you to see that he is first talking about how it doesn't operate. Are you with me? Right? He says, look at how the Jewish people thought it worked. Look at how they thought one could achieve right standing with God, how they believed someone receives God's favor and approval. And Paul explains it this way. They believed that God would save them as if it were based on their effort. All right, that's what that little phrase means there, based on their, their works. The, the, the people that, that Paul is talking about here sought to establish their own righteousness as a way of securing God's righteousness. Yes, they had zeal in obedience. It's good to, be, uh, to have zeal uh, in our Christian faith, but they had zeal in a commitment to God's law as a means of grabbing God's attention. They were placing their faith in what they knew and their practice of God's law as a way to justify themselves, to get God to accept them, to keep God in their good, in, in his good graces. Here's what Paul is saying, and it's the first thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. Salvation is never earned through effort. One of the ways that the Bible talks 
about what happens when God saves us is that he justifies us. We saw this in Romans 5 when Paul said, one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That word justification is a a big theological word that just simply means that you and I are declared innocent, but not just innocent, we are actually declared not guilty anymore. In other words, justification means that God has declared us righteous as well. We exchange our sin for the righteousness of God. Our sin is placed on Jesus, the righteous one. Jesus is both the just and the justifier. It is the great exchange. Now, the Bible also talks about what happens after we're justified. You and I are put on a path towards growth in Christ. We actually do obey God on that path. We are called to obey God and walk with him, not for his favor, but from it. Theologians call that lifelong process sanctification. And again, that's another fancy theological word that just means the journey towards Christ-likeness over a lifetime for a believer. But here's something that um, seminary history, history professor Richard Loveless says is the reality, unfortunately, for many Christians. Listen to what he says. He says, many Christians base their justification on their sanctification. Are you with me? <laughs> Let me say that again. Many Christians struggle or do base their justification, the way in which God saves us, accepts us, on our sanctification, the way in which you and I follow Christ, obey Christ. Maybe we could say it this way. Many Christians really struggle with this idea that they can earn or maintain their salvation through their spiritual effort and work. Theologians call this works righteousness. It's a means to gain or to keep God's acceptance through law-keeping. And that's what Paul is saying the Jewish people did. And a lot of us live this way today. We try to look moral We try to look religious to make ourselves acceptable to other people around us. This is really tough and tempting in the church house. But we do it to to, to make ourselves acceptable to God as well. Loveless says that when that is the basis for our standing with God, we are actually showing just how radically insecure we are spiritually. And here's what he means by that. You may look moral. I may look very religious, like I may come to church and be very involved, but underneath it all, I don't have the assurance that God loves me. And here's the real danger. We get on this treadmill and, 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 and you, you know, you never really know if you're ever being good enough. You, you, you never really know if you've repented enough. You never know if you've submitted enough, if you've surrendered enough. And so you stay on that treadmill of religious activity, of proving yourself before God to gain his approval, never really knowing if you ever have gotten it. And the result is you are radically insecure spiritually. Friends, that's no different than what the Jewish people were doing. They believed that through their good behavior through their law-keeping, 
that they could earn God's favor. And Paul is saying, and let me be really clear here, that never saves. Now again, remember in, in the first part of Romans 9, God is the one who saves. But what we're starting to begin to see what what Paul is talking about is you and I, our role, our responsibility in this mysterious work of salvation that God does. Paul is making the point that, that, that if we treat our faith and our Christianity as a, as a, uh, a works righteousness sort of religion, um, we actually will find in the end we've not found God. That's what he's saying here. God does not accept us based on our good efforts. Galatians 4, 10 through 12 says it this way. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to this. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse now. And it is evident that no one is justified by, excuse me, justified before God by the law. We would call this sort of approach to gain God's acceptance and approval through our efforts as justification by works. And Paul is saying that is not how justification, that's not how salvation ever works. It is never, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. And Paul is saying this is a false gospel that we have to re- get reoriented around what is actually true, which is what we're getting ready to talk about, and repent of our tendency to Try to earn God's favor through our effort. Salvation is never earned through effort. Now look with me, if you would, back beginning in verse 30 in Romans 9. We're moving back from where we were. This is where we started in our passage tonight that you heard read. Here's what Paul says. Let me just read that again. Let me just remind ourselves what we we heard. It says this, What shall we say then, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is, and here, pay attention to this phrase, a righteousness that is by faith. And then he goes on to say, but the Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by what again? By faith. Here's what Paul is showing us tonight. You and I are accepted by a holy and righteous God when we admit that we can't save ourselves. When we admit that that our law-keeping, our good efforts are filthy rags. When we repent of our attempts to earn God's favor and, and, and then instead what we do is place our full faith and trust in the work that Jesus has secured for us through the cross, through the resurrection, for our justification. That is what makes us right before God. Nothing else. Here's the second thing I want to invite you to see. Salvation is always received by faith. See, every other religion... Or secular movement says you are justified by your works. That means you are made right with God, not based on your 
efforts. In, I'm sorry, that, that does mean in those contexts that you believe you are made right with God by your efforts. If you remember Buddha's last dying words, his words were, strive without ceasing. But the gospel says it's not your record, but Christ's record on your behalf. It's not your performance, but it's Christ's performance on your behalf. You are related to God because of what Jesus has done, not on what you do. And here's what that means. If you are justified by what Jesus has done, that means you are completely accepted right now on the basis of what Jesus has already done for you. Friends, this is why the gospel is good news, because you couldn't work hard enough to earn it. Don't, don't miss this. If you have thrown yourself upon the grace and mercy of God, because you have recognized that you can do nothing to earn it, the free gift of grace comes to you, and you are fully accepted, fully loved by God. Now, I don't want you to miss something else I believe Paul is doing here. We've been talking about repentance and faith a lot tonight. We said earlier that Paul has just been making an argument in Romans 9 up to this point that God is sovereign in whom he chooses to save. In fact, it, it may seem odd to you that in anticipating the objection to this, he immediately goes into talking about what our passage is, is uh, talking about today. It's all in the same chapter. But he immediately goes into saying, here's the way in which faith plays a role in God's saving purposes. So here's something else that Paul is doing in our passage today. He is showing us that you and I are not robots. He is, he's showing us that, that God is not a puppet master. We are held accountable in some mysterious way. We exercise something called faith as a part of our responsibility, our role in the way that God saves. And here we come back to the idea that we talked about and been talking about the last few weeks. Again, when God says that one of the ways that his saving purposes are to be understood is through the idea of election, he is giving us information about the nature of ultimate reality. He's saying that, that when he elects or chooses, he is doing so freely due to his sovereign purposes. And those are not governed by anything outside of himself, but exclusively on the things that are inside of, of him, namely his great mercy. So we are not the ones ever who turn the will of God. God alone is decisive. But here at the end of Romans 9, in the beginning of Romans 10, Paul is also wanting to show you and I that, that we make meaningful choices in life. Or said another way, God's sovereignty and salvation in no way contradicts that we will be held responsible for our choices. If we're saved, we are saved because God chooses and we are saved because we are saved by faith. We said that theologians call this compatibilism. Hard for me to say, compatibilism. Randy Alcorn says in his book on this topic called Hand in Hand that humans choose freely, yet God maintains sovereign control over all things. Paul is showing us within the same chapter of Romans, 
that truth. The Bible keeps these things in tension even within a chapter in the book of the Bible. And if you really look at it here, Paul doesn't ever pause to point out any kind of contradiction here. As far as Paul is concerned, both of these things are perfectly compatible and both are absolutely true. God is sovereign. God's grace is God's choice, but man is responsible and we must believe by faith. I was actually, we were singing earlier in worship and uh, the bridge of run to the father actually captures what Paul is doing in Romans 9. Remember the words, it goes, my heart has been in your sight long before my first breath. What is that? (laughs) That means God had his heart set on you before you even born. He chose you to be saved according to his purposes. And then in the next line, running into your arms is running to life from death. That's what we're doing. That's our role. That's our responsibility. That's our, our um, response to the grace of God. It is deeply mysterious, friends. Your responsibility, though, is to believe by grace through faith that Jesus lived the life that you should have lived, that he died the death that you should have died and rose from the dead to guarantee your salvation and justification And friends, that salvation is always received by faith. Let's end here this evening. Look at verse 4 of Romans 10. Here's what it says. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believe. Now, here's what Paul is not saying. That once upon a time you were saved by obeying the law, but now that Christ has come, you're not. Okay, What he's saying is that there are many people who are acting as if law-keeping is the way that you're saved. That obedience to God is what gains you right standing with God. But Paul is saying Christ and his work, his life, his death, his resurrection is an end to that. Jesus obeyed the law perfectly in our place where we couldn't. To become the pure, undefiled, once for all, sacrificial lamb to redeem and to forgive us of our sin. So you see what, what Paul is trying to close this particular part of our passage up by saying. He is saying that if you believe that, that you have given up your attempts to save yourself through your works, through your good effort, through your law keeping... And then you're admitting that Jesus did for you what you couldn't have done for yourself when you see that he stood in your place condemned. And when you believe that it is finished on the cross of Jesus, Paul is saying that you are really waking up to the beauty of what God's saving work is all about. The Jewish people missed the whole thing. And we, and we do too, frankly. Actually, it's really interesting. The, the series we were in right before this was the, the series on the Ten Commandments. And what did we say a lot? The, the Ten Commandments, as we were facing up to those each week, it was super painful. But the Ten Commandments were a mirror for us. As we look into the mirror, we see the, this gap. Like it's, a, it's an unending gap between our sin and his righteousness. And the point isn't to, you know, for us to feel defeated 
but rather to drop to our knees in repentance and to throw ourselves on the only hope that we have, Jesus the justifier. And so Paul is saying here, when we can admit that, that Jesus is the one that did the work for us on our behalf, not our effort, we're starting to understand our hearts are beginning to be awakened to the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Here's how Paul says it in Galatians 3, beginning in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit. How? Through faith. Friends, the good news of the gospel for us this evening is that it is through this great exchange of our sin for the righteousness of God that you and I can begin to experience the true joy and the true hope that comes from knowing it is finished. We can rest in the rock-solid truth that Jesus is the end of our need or attempt to try to earn our salvation. He's already earned it for us. And now instead of being in this mode of, of of doing things to earn God's favor, we can say it's already been done. And we can now receive his grace and we can live free because he's earned every last bit of forgiveness through the cross and through the resurrection. So there is no more earning, friends. There is no more striving to gain things from God. Rather, it's believing. It's trusting. It's resting. Let's pray together.